Hello, Postables. You're listening to Deliver Me a Podcast, hosted by Casey, Jess, and me, Cammy. Special thanks to James Jandrish for letting us use his amazing music. Now, sit back, relax, grab a Yoohoo and a stamp collection, and here we go. Welcome back, Postables. It's been a little bit, but we think it's going to be worth the wait. And I just have to say, Casey, would you agree with me that dreams do come true? Dreams do come true. Dreams do come true because we're about to make a huge dream of a lot of you out there come true. We have the Silver Fox, Mr. Papa O'Toole himself. Please welcome Mr. Gregory Harrison. Hi, Gregory. Hello. I'm blushing now. Jeez. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> a lot to live up to in there. <laughs> you have us as like the hype people, you know. <laughs> well, and that's what you get when you ask somebody who majored in acting to host. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> that explains it. That explains it. An inner actress in you. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 go with that. <laughs> We'll go with the inner part. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome and thank you so, so much. We know that your schedule has been just chop-a-block for the last while. It's been very, very busy for you. So thank you so much for squeezing us in. My pleasure. I'm actually, uh, I'm in Vancouver. Um <laughs> I'm on the 14th day of my quarantine in this hotel room, and uh, I'm preparing to shoot another Hallmark movie starting tomorrow. Uh, play, this time I'm playing Lacey Chabert's father. <gasps> oh, oh well, that's fine. <laughs> that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Oh, lots that's of exciting. people yeah, are going to really want to see that one. I'm really looking forward to it. It's... Uh, it's a beautiful little script. It's got a it's got a working title that I don't think it'll end up with, but right now it's called Sweet Home Georgia, and uh, uh, it's not it's yeah it's not a uh, a holiday movie. Oh. it's a Hallmark movie that isn't a holiday movie. How about that? And and uh, and it's just a beautiful little script, and and I'm very excited to finally start. I'm very excited to get out of this hotel room after 14 days sitting in it. But I'm also very excited. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, that's so exciting. We will be looking forward to seeing that or yes. whatever that um, title turns out to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it, we... it, I think they're going, they're going, uh, they're calling it on the call sheet. It says Sweet Home Georgia slash AKA Carolina on my mind. So it's going to oh. be one or the other, probably. Okay. So it's either, okay. it, it'll, it takes place in Carolina, so I suspect the second one will be the keeper. Okay. But, but we'll see. Okay. Who knows? Uh, yeah. I'll be excited to see how they turn Vancouver into the deep south, but you know. Because <laughs> I'm from where Florida is. Movie magic. Vancouver has become everywhere. Yes. Vancouver somehow. Uh, I mean, when I'm shooting Chesapeake Shores over on Vancouver Island, Right. Uh, with Treat and all the gang, mm -hmm. and I've yeah. been doing that for like three three seasons now. Um, how Chesa how 
How snow-covered mountains can be around Chesapeake Bay has always been beyond me, but somehow they make it work. <laughs> yes, that is one of the running jokes we have on the podcast are the mountains in Maryland. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So it has been, as Kimmy said, it's been a crazy year. Um, we are, you know, we have been in court. We we've been in quarantine, we, we're coming out of this pandemic, but we wanted to just touch base with you and ask you, how have you been with all of these changes? And I know before we started recording, you had mentioned spending more time with family and just making that more of a priority and just, um, you know, counting those little blessings. So how have you been doing? I've been doing uh, fine through it. I mean, there's certain frustrations, of course, that come with with quarantining yourself and living in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but I didn't really reprioritize my family. They've always been the priority. Mm, yeah. I just took advantage of this time away from work mm -hmm. to enjoy uh, my family and enjoy my wife in particular, who I've, we've been married 39 years, but I probably spent 20 of that away. You know, I mean, if you added up all, all the time together over those 39 years, half of it, I was on location somewhere filming and she was raising our children who are now all adults. And I have a second grandchild about to get born. And oh, but uh, but I, I spent a lot of time with her and a lot of time on FaceTime with my other daughters. And uh, I have three. And and I also just love being around the house focusing on a sort of to-do list that I'd been putting aside while I was busy filming things and traveling and living my life. And, uh, you know, sometimes years can go by before you get to writing down the stuff you intended to write down about this or that episode or reading certain scripts or, or books, watching certain movies. I mean, I've binged on on uh, a lot of shows over the last <laughs> well, not, over the last two weeks, I've binged on a lot of shows oh, just <laughs> trying to survive this this quarantine in the room. But um, you know, there there is a silver lining to it. You know, as as tragic and horrible as this pandemic is, um, I felt that it was. I've sort of done this my whole life. When things get tough, I try to find uh, the blessing within the curse mm -hmm. and. Uh, and there always is one. Yeah. It, it's just sometimes really hard to see because there's so much curse. But uh, but no, there are, there has been some some uh, good sides to this as well. Uh, I'm awfully glad though. Now that I've been vaccinated down in the states, I just got my second one about two weeks ago, and uh, and uh, you know I I, I I I'm glad to see that it's coming looking like it's going to come to an end in the next few months there's light at the end of the tunnel now mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah. i'm i'm hopeful that that case yeah did that you pick marvelous yes so did... glad to hear that <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your how you got started in acting and please do not skip over the musical theater aspect that's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is it really? I, I majored in musical theater in college. So yeah. <laughs> so I so that was actually one what, of my questions is what's your favorite what shows musical? did you what musicals did you do in college? 
Oh, what musicals did you do? Let's see. I did them in high school and college. I did Bye Bye Birdie, Fiddler on. Mm. I did Fiddler on the Roof twice. Once in high school, once in college. Um, wow. Hello Dolly. Uh, once on this island. The classics. Yeah, Into the yeah. Woods. Um, I did an opera of Merry Wives of Windsor, so not a musical, but. Um, Oh, let uh, Peter Pan. You I must have a heck of a voice. <laughs> um, I, I love to sing. Doing opera and and musicals. Heck I do yeah. love to sing. <laughs> so what? Well, I got about... into you know I had a completely backwards career. Oh. Completely, completely backwards. Normally, when you see an actor who's made it into television or into films. They started in, in theater, you know, and wherever they were, regional theater or in New York, or, you know, they eventually got through New York and spent a few years there honing their craft and doing plays and going from small roles to larger featured roles and, and then working their way into television, uh, maybe coming out west to Hollywood and, uh, and, and creating a career out there the same way by working their way up into, into major roles. And then some, if they're lucky, find their way into feature films and a good paying career. Yeah. I grew up on Catalina Island in mm. off the coast of Los Angeles. Okay. And, and when I was 15, I mean, they shot a lot of movies over there because they used it sort of as the, as the, uh, the, the poor man's Mediterranean or the poor yes. man's South Pacific. So they'd come over there and shoot scenes that were supposed to be off of Tahiti or off of uh, Italy in the ocean, you know, and, and a lot of series shot there and a lot of movies uh, filmed there when I was growing up. So I was always really interested in it. I never got to get close to the sets because they're always very, you know, separated and protected and they didn't want some kid interfering or making noise or, or getting in the way. So I was always kept away. But then in 19... 65 this age is my you'll figure out my age from this i was 15 and my father and grandfather both uh, who were born on the island like i was had run the glass bottom boats which was a famous tour trip okay. and um and so they made a movie with doris day and rod taylor oh, somebody wow. wrote it in hollywood and it was called the glass bottom boat and this character actor named arthur godfrey very famous back in the time played my father and they used my father's real boat. Mm. So oh, finally they're making a movie in my hometown over in Avalon on Catalina Island. And they can't keep me off the set because it's my dad's boat. So <laughs> I had entree, you know, and literally I was sitting on the boat 15 feet away from Doris Day and Rod Taylor while they were shooting scenes. I'm like right, right next to the camera and they're, 10, 15 feet away and they're shooting movies. They're shooting the scenes for the movie. And, uh, and I watched the process and what I had always thought was some kind of weird, magical, unimaginable process that mere mortals like myself would never figure out or qualify to do. I realized when they'd screw up and she'd go, ah, you know, and she'd curse, and go, damn it, let's do it again, come on. And I went, oh, Doris Day can mess up. And then they just kind of go, okay, rolling, take two. And I went, I can do that. I can mess up. I can mess up as well as anyone. And I, and literally that day, 
I realized that I was going to be an actor for the rest of my life because I loved movies. And I, I just always thought it was some kind of magic trick that I would never understand or have access to. And the moment that I realized this is something it's possible for me to do, I knew from that day on that for the rest of my life, I was going to be an actor. Now, I didn't, you know, and, and, and it, I, I never wavered from that. I always knew from that day on. And I was doing high school plays and stuff, but you mean there, you know, I had a school, I had 31 kids in my senior class and wow. 28 of them I went to kindergarten with. So it was like a tiny town. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, you could get the lead in the school play, um, you know, if you just knew how to walk. You know, it's like <laughs> there was no, no talent required. Right. So I had done some acting, but, you know, in front of small audiences. But I ended up, graduated from high school, going in the army, drafted into the army, Vietnam, got out, went to acting. You know, I still had the dream, still knew that's what I was going to end up doing. At 21, I, I went to Hollywood when I got out of the army and studied for four and a half, five years on the GI Bill. They paid my acting yeah. classes. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, lived on nothing you know didn't have a car uh, had no money in the bank uh, eating popcorn for breakfast lunch and dinner because it was cheap craft craft macaroni and cheese 17 cents a box that was my, <laughs> oh that was man. my secret that was my secret meal and i mean i was you know i'd live on a, on 50 100 a month for for about four or five years and just studied and learned my craft yeah loved it it was probably my most the happiest time of my entire acting life because there was nothing to lose and everything to gain every day. I just, you know, every day I'd learn some new nugget mm -hmm. of, of information of, of uh, some plateau that I'd reached that I, that I was struggling to find, you know, of how to be honest with anger or how to be whatever. It was like, there was a million things to try and figure out. And, uh, and then I started, uh, well, actually, I, the first the first job I got, uh, somebody came to the workshop who was going to produce a little movie for free. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like a hundred thousand dollar film. They didn't want to pay any actors. And they came and they asked the acting coach, "Who's your best actor mm -hmm. in in the in the school?" And by that time, I had finally gotten where I was good enough to qualify for that. And she said, "Well, he's he's going to be in class tonight. Why don't you come and watch him work?" And I had some scene I'd been preparing and I came and I just went to class and did what I had been doing in class. Mm -hmm. And they watched that, that scene and offered me the lead in this independent film. They said, we're gonna shoot for a year on weekends. Oh, we're wow. gonna rent, rent the camera equipment on a Friday night, take it back on Monday morning. And we're gonna shoot from Friday night until Monday morning without a break. Wow. Every week. Because, because you could do that and pay for one day of, of equipment rental. Right, right. Goodness, wow. And then it said, they said, and then you'll fall down and we'll, we'll all rest from, from Monday morning until Friday afternoon, and then we'll start over again. Mm -hmm. We're going to do that for a year. So wow. for a year, that's what I did. No money. Um, I had a window washing route that I did during the middle of the week that, that, that I would do at night that uh, I had created washing windows up and down Santa Monica Boulevard. Whatever that, pays the uh, bills that I survived on, yeah, that paid the mm -hmm. paid the the meager little bills, and uh, 
And at the end of the year, they cut together this film and the head critic at the LA Times saw it. They, they, they got a screening for him somehow and he wrote this LA Times cover article about the movie called Jim, the World's Greatest and that this, this actor kid was, uh, was amazing and, and gave me this rave and, and, and um, I got a call from an agent the next day said, are you represented? because he was reading the article. I said, no, I don't have an agent. I'm not in the union. And he said, well, would you like to be represented? So I got an agent out of that. It was like I went from poverty, I mean, extreme poverty, to the next morning I had an agent. Universal Studios bought the film, oh. reshot re half of it. So that got me in the union. Yeah. So now I'm, a, I'm, I'm that's a catch 22 that every actor has to fight with, you know? Mm -hmm. How do I get in the union? Well, you have to have a, an acting role offered to you. How do I get an acting role? Well, you have to have an agent. How do I get an agent? Well, you have to be in the union to get an agent. Yep. It's like everything's a catch-22. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So overnight, I had like $50 in the bank, and I was starring in a feature film with a fantastic agent and a major film coming out. And uh, so I, I, I started starring in a movie, then that led to uh, all I was going up for after that were leads. I didn't do any of the bit parts or any of that stuff and did, did a couple of other films. And then one pilot season I got my, in 1977, I got my first series called Logan's Run. It was a science fiction series based on a big hit feature movie. And I was starring in that. And and uh, that only lasted a year, but then I went right from that into a huge 25-hour miniseries and then into Trapper John MD, where I, I was the star of that for co-star of that with, with Bernal Roberts for eight years. Mm. And then when I had when that show was number one in the country about 1980, I started a production company called Catalina Productions, based, <laughs> you know, named after my home island. Of course. And we started producing movies and plays. I bought a theater. I was, suddenly I was making like money hand over fist. I didn't know what to do with it. So um, I, bought a, I bought a little theater, 99 seat equity waiver theater in Los Angeles. And I produced 60 plays there wow. over the next 10 years. Wow. So I worked and then I was in about maybe a fifth of them. So I worked my way into theater and then and won a bunch of awards over the years for several of those things and uh, had a partner who in New York who produced Broadway shows. And then he and I produced things enough that, that uh, I ended up being asked to come to New York and act in musicals in New York. So I found my way into theater after I had already been successful and had money in the bank. So it was completely the opposite yeah. of any yeah. other actor that I've ever known. I came east to Hollywood and, <laughs> and then started movies, went to television and then went to theater. And, uh, and then, you know, I've had, I've had a f almost 50 year long career from that point on. So I've been very lucky and I'm very grateful and, uh, and it was very, a very unusual way to go about having a career. What so that, that was a long-winded answer to your question. That's okay. That's okay. So That's favorite, incredible. Favorite musical. Gotta know. My favorite musical? Yeah. That I've done or that I that I like? Any. 
Um, wow, there's so many that I love. Um, you know, I, I did, I did a, probably my favorite musical, and I and and. In, 19, in uh, 1999, 2000, no, after 2001, because it was just, just before the 9-11, the um, I did Follies on Broadway. Oh, you did! And Stephen Sondheim, uh, you know, I did it because I wanted to work with Sondheim. You yeah. Know, I figured there's like, you know, there's like Shakespeare and Sondheim and Neil Simon. Those are like, okay, there you got your three pillars of, of theater. Oh, yeah. That I, at, at that point, at least, that I went, those are, how could I ever turn down the opportunity to work with any of those three? And Shakespeare was kind of out. And Neil Simon wasn't making me any, any offers. But Follies, I, I, I went in and fought for and got it. And, uh, and I worked with uh, Treat Williams, who I'm now, who yeah. plays my oh brother my on Chesterfield. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Judith Ivey um and um uh, uh, oh god i'm blanking i'm blanking on her name anyway it was a fantastic cast just a huge fantastic cast and it's amazing musical probably the best score sondheim ever wrote but that's that's debatable of course he's <laughs> written so many brilliant but i got to spend time with mr sondheim oh like he'd come to my dress he'd come to my dressing room every night before the performance and we'd sit there and talk treat and i shared a dressing room and we i'd sit there for a half an hour with sondheim and then go out and do his show on a broadway stage it was wow it was a dream it was a dream come true yeah and then i also i also did uh, steel pier on broadway uh candor neb musical and i originated the the role of mick who was the the uh, the organizer MC of a of a of a huge uh, steel pier uh, dance-a-thon marathon that, <laughs> that would go on for weeks, and and I sat I was literally in, at one point I was in the room with Candor and Ebb, just the two of them and myself, while they wrote me a song, and we would try <laughs> lyrics. I was there for the process of candor and ebb, the two of maybe, you know, two of the greatest uh, composers, lyricists of all time. While they wrote me a song, it was, it was, again, another one of those magical moments that was like everything came together in my life that moment. And I just, I just went this, it can't get any better than this, yeah. you know? That is incredible. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I figured you'd, you'd appreciate that story. You would, you would know <laughs> that. Sitting here chatting about the musical theater might not, might not care so much, but I knew that that those those two names that it's in a, a Candor and Ebb to be there with them day in and day out for months and months on end was a dream. Well, and you're covering Shakespeare now, playing. Oliver O'Toole's father. So, you know, we're so <laughs> good. A little tiny bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, what would you say is your favorite non-Hallmark screen project that you've done? Uh, well, probably, I mean, favorite, like artistically favorite would be, 
I think the greatest piece of Americana ever made for television was a miniseries I did early in my career called Centennial. It was a 25-hour miniseries based on a James Michener novel. And you know, I've Michener the novels, they start, they start with the creation of the earth and then take, you know, take, take uh, some family history all the way forward to present day. And that's what Centennial did. And I, mm -hmm. I played a, a character, a Mennonite named Levi Zent, who founded the town of Centennial at, at 20. And I aged from 20 to 78 in it over the course of about oh, wow. 12 hours of film. Wow. So it was really challenging for me, but really fun. And I think it was just a beautiful piece. It had every good actor in Hollywood in it. Mm -hmm. I was the only unknown at the time. And, uh, but I was kind of the central, you know, kid yeah. who founds everything. Stephanie Zimbalist and I played a Mennonite couple who ran away from home and in a Conestoga wagon and started this, you know, the whole town of Centennial. Wow. And uh, so that was, that was a beautiful piece. It was really satisfying artistically. It created a huge opportunity for me mm -hmm. to surround me with, you know, admirable, iconic actors. And, and that was great. But the most fun I ever had as an actor was doing a film called North Shore, a surf movie mm -hmm. in 1987, where I played, you remember uh, the Karate Kid? Yes. I remember uh, Pat, Marita, Pat Marita's character, Wax On, Wax On, Miyagi. Wax Off, Wax On. Miyagi. Yeah, Miyagi. I was the Miyagi of North Shore. I was the, oh. yeah, I was the big kahuna. I was the soul surfer shaper who takes this kid and who, who's, who comes from an inland wave pool and thinks he knows how to surf and turn him into a true surfer, a Hawaiian surfer on the North shore of Oahu. Oh my word. And so now I've been surfing since I was nine over on Catalina. And well, of course I've been, I've been a surfer. I still surf every day that I'm wow. free to do it. And, and uh, I still consider myself a surfer more than anything else. And so for me to be able to play that role and be on the North shore of, of Oahu and have the water cleared every day for this stretch of beach so that we could go out and surf and play our scenes in the water and, and ride world-class mm -hmm. waves. And also represent surfing in a beautiful kind of light yeah. mm -hmm. was to me the most satisfying and most fun job that I've ever had. And, and I don't think anything will ever have a shot at replacing that. I don't mm. think there's anything I could do that would make me happier than I was doing that. Yeah. There's always that one project, isn't there? Mm. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully you have that one project, you know? Yeah. Oh, sometimes I, I know people who've had projects and they've all been painful and not very satisfying, you know? So as an actor, I've just been so blessed mm -hmm. and I'm so lucky. But let's move on to to uh, to sign seal delivered and to my relationship with Martha Williamson, yeah. who yeah. is the creator of sign seal delivered. Yeah, that's we... also been a hugely. There may be one other thing. I mean, this is this is this is in relation to Martha and into the last question you asked me. The most satisfying that I've ever been about, sort of on a on a heart 
uh, uh, value level that I've been about my career and something I've been able to do in my career was an episode of Touched by an Angel that Martha Williamson created mm -hmm. and, and, and was the showrunner for 10, 11 years while the series ran. Mm -hmm. I did an episode of that. She came to me. We've been old friends. She had actually been a writer on a sitcom that I did that, that only lasted one season <clears throat> back around 1989. And then about 93, she was doing Touched by an Angel. Mm -hmm. And right. at the end of her first season, I think the ratings were just sort of mediocre and they weren't sure if they were going to get picked up. So she, I happened to be in Salt Lake City shooting a movie. And that's where they shot touched. And so she, she saw me out on this basketball court, sort of getting some exercise at this hotel, which apparently my movie and her show shared. Oh. And so she, she came out, she saw me out there. She said, hey, Greg, Greg. And she came out and talked to me and we, we were chatting. She said, would you do an episode for us? And I went, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of stopped doing episodic. I'm now I'm just doing sort of doing TV movies, uh, you know, and I'm getting paid well for that. And I really don't know if I should. She said, we need to uh, we need to put together a really interesting last show of the season. She goes, and I'd sure love it if you join us. She goes, is there any subject that you really care about that we could create that would make you want to do it? I thought oh, wow. for a minute. And I said, yeah, homelessness. I said, there's just so many homeless people and I hate how people blame them for their homelessness. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think it's, uh, you know, I said, I, I see people when we, when I pull up to, you know, you get off the freeway and there's a homeless person standing there and everybody turns their head and looks the other way and tries not to make eye contact. And I said, mm -hmm. it's just, it always feels so wrong. I said, is there anything you could do about that? She said, let me work on it. I'll get back to you. Well, she takes this that little meager idea and comes back to me in a couple of weeks with a story about homelessness called uh, uh, there, but for the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it was about a guy who became homeless through no fault of his own. His wife got cancer and died. He lost his job because he had to stay home because he didn't have enough insurance to pay for her cancer. So he lost his job. So he, then he lost his house. Then he, he, all he had was his van, which he got as far as, as Denver, which is what we were playing that it was in. And then the, the car broke down and now he's been living in his car and he's washing windows at a street intersection with spray bottles and hoping people will tip him. Mm -hmm. And that was my role. That was the part for me to play. Yeah. You know, and so we shot, I, I said, absolutely. It was a beautiful thing. It's just a beautiful episode. Mm -hmm. I think it was still, might mm -hmm. still be the best or certainly one of the best episodes that they ever did on that show. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. We went and we shot it. Um, they paid me $25,000 to do it. I didn't take a check. I put that money straight into Habitat for Humanity. Jimmy Carter's oh. uh, favorite charity. And, you know, mm -hmm. we build houses all around the, mm -hmm. the country and the world uh, for people in, with what they call sweat equity, where people that the people who are going to move into that house also help to build the house. So they don't feel that humiliating feeling of just being given something, yeah. you know, and not having to earn. Mm -hmm. So it's called sweat equity. And, uh, and so Jimmy Carter and I then took that 25,000, went to Watts and built a house for a week. And in a week with about a hundred other people helping us build it, um, 
At the end of the week, I handed over the key to that house to a family that moved into it. And they'd been working with us all week, building it too. And, uh, and we did a, you know, like a today show and a couple of other things from the location of the house building that helped raise money for Habitat for Humanity so other homes could get built. And my point is that at the end of all that, I went, you can actually, in my business, which is the most indulgent business I know of, you know, mm -hmm. everything has to be about you and you're looking in the mirror all the time out of right. necessity because you have to make sure your hair is right and your makeup's good. And, you know, how, how do I look in this? That in, in this, this business of mine, that you can stop being indulgent, after, you know, for a second, create an idea that turns into a script, that turns into a check, that goes to a, to a charity, that becomes a home, that helps a family live in a, in a, a better life. And who knows what, what that family will do with that gift mm -hmm. that they've been given, that opportunity that it gives them. So I went, oh. That's probably the best thing I've ever done with my career, you know, in terms of yeah. contributing to the betterment of the world, you know, and that was with Martha's help and her brilliant writing. So that that also was a very satisfying moment. Yeah, that is incredible. And it's it's actually funny you, you mentioned this episode because our third musketeer of the podcast, she's unable to be with us today just because of um, her, her work schedule. But she did tell us, she said, please make sure you tell Gregory that that episode that we just were talking about is my favorite. And one thing you have to know about Jess is she is our realistic girl. <laughs> She's not very the realistic, romantic not of a the hopeless group. romantic, <laughs> not a very, like, a, you know, she's very she gets touched but it takes a lot to move her and she said that is one of her favorite episodes so um we wanted wow. to pass that along to you she said it was incredibly coincidentally moving. that that episode i'm so i'm that's that's nice to hear and she said your performance specifically was incredibly moving well thank you yeah i mean it was it was it was a, a heart-fueled uh project from beginning to end and my performance was part of that, you know, it was like just deep heart, heart generated performance. Yeah. So with SSD, because you have had a relationship with Martha, but at this point for years, starting way back before Touched by yeah. an Angel, and then you worked on Touched by an Angel, and now Sign Seal Delivered, um, was that, was the role of Joe O'Toole something that she had kind of pitched to you as well? She, um, she just came to me with it and, and said, I want you to do this. Will you do this? And by that time, you know, we'd been friends for so long and I had reaped the rewards of that friendship in so many different ways that I didn't even have to read it. I just said, sure, whatever, whatever you want me to do, Martha, I will do. And, but then when I read it, I went, oh, this is fantastic. And I had been watching the show. So I, I, oh. I knew what a great show it was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. What would you and, say? And I knew, and I, I knew what a great show it was, and 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 that that by getting, you know, I didn't know if it would be a one one off, you know, where I would mm -hmm. just come in and and play Joe and and be Eric's father for the day, you know, for the week that episode, and 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 then never show up again. But uh, no, Martha's, you know, she saw there was some chemistry with Eric and I, and. That the first episode or the first movie worked well enough that she went oh yeah we got to keep this around We're... and i'm not in every one after that you know that we've done what four or five six more since then 
Mm-hmm. But uh, and I've been in probably three or three or four of them, mm-hmm. and and uh, I'll probably be in the next one. That's that's her intention anyway. Yeah, okay. I would so. <laughs> we, yes, yes. <laughs> you know the chemistry that struck me when you walk on the screen and sign sealed is your is uh, Joe's relationship with Shane very much, and your chemistry with Kristen as that um, not quite fatherly figure but it is there I, I remember going oh yeah there's a connection here between these two <laughs> characters <laughs> they're all such good actors you know mm-hmm. chemistry is one of those things I don't I don't think you can fake it but if you uh, secure and sensitive actors um, know how to how to mine it you know, yeah. know it's there yeah. somewhere and they know how, you know how to dig in and mine that right and and make it work for you mm-hmm. and they're all such good actors yeah the writing yeah. is so extraordinary the character delineation within the writing is so beautiful and those actors flesh it out so beautifully that for me to walk in it was like it was like the current was already strong i just walked in and got right in the flow of it mm-hmm. yeah what would you say is your favorite SSD installment that you've been a part of? Well, that, that first one had so much dramatic appeal because, you know, that, that Eric became so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. His character became so vulnerable in that, in that episode, you know. Um, I think that, un, that unearthed some things in his character that hadn't been unearthed before. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and changed everything that came after it. I thought, I thought that that was such a beautiful dynamic watching Eric's stoic kind of stern uh, uh, character crumble a bit and get rebuilt in a whole new, new kind of way. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, he's maintained that ever since. And, you know, the, in the same sense, um the one i did where we're out in the forest together Mm -hmm. just eric and i where i get hurt and and uh he and i have all those private moments up there i i I thought that was that was a pretty pretty great episode for me i mean i'm looking at it from internally you know for me it was a i loved playing those scenes with him i loved the vulnerability that we both got to show there Mm -hmm. and the strength that we yeah. got to show that we both got to show there yeah. and uh you know with, with martha's scripts there's always there's so many values involved you know there's always morality and and value driven uh plot lines you know it's nothing just just for show or to you know dazzle uh with with the the cinematic uh side of things it's about it's about important, deep, eternal issues, you know? I, I, just, mm-hmm. I just think, because that's what Martha's about, you know, that yeah. she's that kind of human being. Yeah. She's no lightweight. No. <laughs> and I think that's why the fans just keep coming back to it. And then we're, mm-hmm. the postables are just becoming a bigger and bigger group because, I mean, it just has that element of beauty and goodness and morality and redemption is a running theme that is going, is, completely throughout the series absolutely absolutely and a sense of right and wrong Mm -hmm. you know that 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 drives everything 
We call her the master weaver here on the podcast just because of how beautifully everything is woven together. Perfect. It's- yeah, that's perfect. She does that. She weaves beautifully. Yeah. Yes. That's nice. Yeah. Do you have any fun behind the scenes story that you can share filming with the gang? Well, gosh, let me think. I'm sure there's, um, I know Jeff is afraid of heights and, uh, really? yeah, I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't expose that, but I've already done it. Now. <laughs> um, he's afraid of heights. And, and in the last one we did, he had to get up in a tree for a long time. Oh, yes. And, yes. Oh my. Did we give him a lot of crap? Uh, every time he'd have to climb up this ladder and get into that tree, he would be so trepidatious every time. And uh, and we we made it as as uh, uncomfortable for him as possible. <laughs> He's a very funny, wonderful guy, and uh, but he really is afraid of heights. Yeah, is that yeah. the time Kristen gave him that gift, and it had I yes. think it had the uh, adult underwear or, or like a yes. diapers yeah, the or something. The, the pants. I, I think it was his birthday. It was his birthday. Oh. yeah yeah oh that's funny that is funny she posted that video of them giving him that Uh gift on twitter or something like that so yeah that's fun and we all were around we were all there and and it was out in the middle of a street he was up in a tree and we all applauded and (laughs) we were were there for a couple of days filming and he had to get in this tree and stay up there for the longest time oh Oh, he goodness. didn't moan and groan about it, but we knew secretly that he just hated it. <laughs> hated it. Oh, we hated it, and we had to we had to uh, make make the most of that. So we did it. We did it. But I, I just love Jeff. I, I love all of them. They're they're just uh, the greatest people, and they have a real uh, a shorthand. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a project that's so that's so grounded now that even though there are long breaks, obviously this last one has been a very long break in between. I know when we when we walk back on the set, hopefully in a few months, that uh, it'll it'll we'll pick it up like like yeah. we last saw each other yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that we can all say is that the relationship that is built between Joe and Oliver over the course of these movies is just such a beautiful thing to go from not speaking to be being dependent on each other. Uh, and it's, it's just such a beautiful thing. I remember my mother, when she was watching the show with me once, she said, how did that man raise a son like that (laughs) just how polar opposite they are but that created such great chemistry and such great play between the two of you on screen what would you say is joe your favorite joe and oliver moment i know you got a lot to pick from gosh you know i I keep thinking of when i was sitting there with the guitar and he walked up and and we have a beer with the, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I've been strumming the guitar and we play that scene and we, we were in this most beautiful place looking out over 
over this uh well it was actually the sound it was it looks like a river but it's it's the ocean the sound up above vancouver about halfway to whistler <laughs> and uh squamish was the name of the area and and we played this wonderful scene and and uh i knew that that the you know the picture was was a glorious picture and the scene was a really beautiful scene and and i got to play my guitar yeah there you go i've been playing since i was 18. oh wow and uh and martha knew that so that's why she put it in the script yeah nice, nice. that's so fun <laughs> i watched that scene just this morning and really yeah and it was oh it, it still gets me i love how joe calls him O'Toole. He says, come on, O'Toole, fess up. And I remember talking when we covered it, He, I said, I think that Joe is trying to do two things. He's trying to loosen him up because trying to, trying to gain a camaraderie and trying to establish an adult relationship with his son. But then he's all, he called him O'Toole mm -hmm. because he's trying to reaffirm you're an O'Toole you are my son, no matter what anybody says. So yeah, beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that whole, that whole concept of, of you're not my real son, but you are my real son. Yeah. Is such a, is such a, a strong concept, you know, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful idea. I have a, an adopted son and, um, and so you know, I have very strong feelings about that. And, and uh, I don't know if Martha purposely tapped into that, but she, she knew that it, that it would resonate with me. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. oldest brother is adopted. So I, and Casey's got adoption in her family too. Yeah. So. I have adopted niece and nephews. So yeah. Um, yeah. So that's very, it's a very uh, close topic to very. all of us here. So, yeah. <laughs> and are, are you a, uh, you very close with them are you a are you the aunt that they uh they call you aunt yes yes um we've been a family for all a little over a year um yeah or actually coming up on two years wow time flies time flies really fast <laughs> but yes yes i am their cool aunt. Yeah, <laughs> i tell them i am missing, your favorite aunt <laughs> year and yes <laughs> yeah I mean, it was kind of yeah, I mean, it was a little hard just because of last year, and we we live very close to each other. But with 2020 and everything, there weren't very many opportunities that we were able to like get together. Um, so that's why I was like, oh, it's been a year. No, it's actually it's coming up on two. But, um, <laughs> but yes, I do tell them I am your favorite aunt. Yeah. Uh, one thing I know is a burning question of the postables. This is one thing that keeps coming up whenever to the altar re airs. And it is the whole, um, the whole discussion that Joe has with Oliver at the bachelor party where he tells Oliver something along the lines of, well, you're two different people now. You're going to have to face the music or something along the lines. Um, was Joe playing a little bit of reverse psychology on Oliver? Was there a cut scene that maybe we didn't see because um, you know, we all know that Joe loves Shane and he, she, he's like a very much a quote unquote Sholiver shipper. Um, <laughs> but that, I, I think that that whole scene kind of threw everybody for a loop. What do you think Joe was um, re referring to in that moment? Wow. 
You're coming in out of the blue with that one. <laughs> I've got a lot of scenes. I've got a lot of scenes in my head, and I'm I'm trying to remember what what I was thinking when I filmed that. Which so, I can't. I can't re remember what I was thinking. So Oliver, is I'm sure I, I made a decision about it, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, this is the scene. This is the time when Oliver is contemplating the next step. So he and Shane have been they've been practically been dating for a, a bit but he's scared to propose right. um is kind of the idea that we're getting and during yeah. the the bachelor party joe notices that oliver is just very like one track mind he won't look at shane he won't he will barely like talk to her even he's very very distracted and joe calls him out and um oliver says dad have you have you ever looked at somebody one way and then seeing them in a different light. Right. And that's when he says, well, you're going to have to face the music that you and Shane are two different people. It's kind of that idea. So. And then later he proposes. So we thought, With, is, is Joe so doing that a was, reverse psychology thing on him? Yeah. And I think Joe also gives Oliver the green tie. He kind of sneaks it to him before the ceremony. Well, so, yeah, but that's a different scene. Yes, so. yes. But I mean, yeah. like, leading up to that. Yeah. Well, I don't remember it exactly. I don't remember what my thought process was because the scene is, I remember the scene, but I don't remember the specific dialogue and maybe I was trying to flip it and do some reverse psychology. But on the other hand, maybe I was just saying what I've learned in my marriage that viva la difference. <laughs> um, that there, there sometimes are, are differences that, that you just have to accept and love them, love them for their flaws as well as their strengths. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's the way I, that's why I'm married 39 years. And I'm sure that's why my wife is married to me for 39 years, because I got plenty <laughs> of flaws to, uh, to counter my strengths, but somehow she, I think she focuses on the good. And and you know weigh weigh those things and you know if if the good weighs more than the bad then you're lucky you got a good marriage mm -hmm. yeah 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 and that makes complete sense for for Joe yeah and, and of course with we know that Joe is very much a optimistic person as well and. I think there are similarities with you and him looking at the bright side of things. And mm -hmm. um, so that, that completely makes sense. And he likes to shake things up. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Joe's a, Joe's a pot stirrer. He is. He is. <laughs> well, speaking of that pot stirrer, one of my, one of my favorite moments, it doesn't necessarily have to do with Joe and Shane, but when you, uh, when Joe invites Oliver camping and he says, I'm sorry, I have a date with Shane and you go, oh, never mind, <laughs> another time. It's, it's obvious that you are totally okay with that decision. Um, what mm -hmm. do you think is Joe's favorite thing about Shane for Oliver? You know, I don't, I, I, in all my playing of these scenes, I never thought about, I never like was making a judgment on Shane, whether she was, you know, the best thing for Joe or the, or not. It was more about Joe. It was the best thing for Joe 
is to open his heart. Mm. His heart has been closed. There's a, there's a, a he, he's been carrying a fear for a long time. And, and, uh, did, did you mean, did you mean Oliver? The, the best thing for I'm sorry, Oliver, Oliver, Oliver okay. I'm, I'm talking about me. <laughs> um, yeah, I met Oliver. Is, is, is the best thing for Oliver is to open his heart mm -hmm. that that he's been closed off for a long long time as wonderful a human as he is there's always been this these he's compartmentalized his himself in in between these two walls and mm -hmm. and and he's afraid to to go beyond those limits and and in terms of committing his heart you know opening his heart being vulnerable and so I, I always played those scenes, not so much that I think Shane is the perfect woman, but that Oliver needs to open up okay. and, yeah. and to find happiness, he's going to have to open up, mm -hmm. find real happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I mean, I do think Shane's uh, terrific, you know, but, <laughs> but she's not my focus. Oliver is. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, oh, yeah. that relationship Absolutely. with um, Oliver and Joe is just so important for Joe, especially having been estranged for so many years. And right. ultimately, as a parent, you want to see your children and their happiness and what's best for them. So, I, you know, Shane is just the added bonus and that catalyst <laughs> for Oliver to begin that journey of opening up and all of that, along with his relationship with Joe, um, there's just so many layers to Oliver and there are so many reasons why he was so closed off to different relationships and stuff. So um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful picture what Martha has done in crafting somebody who could be a very boring character because he's so stoic, but there's just so many different layers to him. And he has this great community of people to open him up like Joe and Shane and Norman and Rita. Um, so yeah, it just, I mean, Martha is just brilliant that way. Man's an onion. She really is. Yeah. <laughs> she really is. Yeah. And you know, and I think, I think um, I tap into, you know, as the father of four kids, three girls and a boy, you know, that that's kind of the way I feel about my daughters. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I, I'm not so concerned about the guy they end up with as I am that they stay open and available and don't get scared and closed down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a father, that's my job is to keep them courageous. Yes. Yes. And I think it, my, my husband would probably say the same about our girls. Now they're very little, they're three and five. <laughs> so we've got a ways yeah. to go before them, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. that that's true. I mean, just making sure that they're, they're grounded and they're, we are they're well taken care of and everything so my husband would echo All that. that protect you know protected on one side but not over protective yes. on the other you know let them let encourage them, them to, yes. take, to take chances to cal calculated risks but but risks mm -hmm. and and to to open themselves up for opportunity as well as damage you know mm -hmm. yeah. you can't have one without the other you mm -hmm. can't have success without failure yeah you know? so it's like it's it, when somebody gets hurt or scarred, you have to help them get back up on the horse, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Mixing my metaphors. <laughs> a bit, but. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes one of the advice somebody gave me, so, is sometimes you just got to let them fail. <laughs> I mean, not so much that they're, you know, in this horrendous situation, but 
sometimes they just got, they have to learn. And I know my parents did that for me growing up. They're like, well, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to but every kid, figure it out. <laughs> every human, every human's different too. Every kid's different. You know, yeah. I have yeah. one of my daughters, uh, is completely different from the other one one learns from negative examples you know you can talk to her about what not to do and she'll she'll learn from it and agree that that yeah that shouldn't do that and she won't do it the other one you can talk to her about what she shouldn't do or what she should be aware of and she will completely ignore that and go ahead and do it and she needs to fall in her and hurt her face yeah, you know, right. she needs it. That's the only way she's going to learn to fall down and hurt her face, you know, and then, and then, uh, you know, she might learn maybe after the second or third time she falls down, she might start to learn not to do that. That's the way my oldest well, daughter depends is. on the person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My oldest daughter is the exact same way. So I feel you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, this last part is just kind of a for fun thing. It's our SSD version of Teen Beat. Uh, so we're going to just ask you some rapid fire questions about uh, about your time on set and your castmates. What? Let me ask you before you do that. Yeah. Here's what I want to know. You said Teen Beat. Is there still a Teen Beat? No. Not really. I don't no. think so. <laughs> It, because because believe it or not, I, I haven't seen it in 30 years, but in 1979, but I was on the cover of Teen Beat over and over and over. That was when it, all they had were Teen Beat magazines. Right. And they didn't have any internet. They, mm -hmm. didn't, they didn't have a, a, a TMZ. They didn't have any, all they had was the Inquirer and Teen Beat. <laughs> oh, my. And, and I hated them both. <laughs> but uh but i was on the company over and over and over That's you know funny. with uh pat duffy with pat duffy yeah and mm -hmm. uh yeah and and uh and and who was it who else tom wopat and all, <laughs> you know we were the we were the hunks of the of the 70s <laughs> Lane Edwards, when we talked to him, he's, he said that it one of the greatest honors of being in one in a million was getting the chance to sit down and talk to you and just learn from your experiences. And he said that he told you the story that he used to confuse you with, uh, he used to confuse you with Tom Wolpat. And, <laughs> and he said that you said that that still happens today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, so funny. And and especially because Tom and I both, we, we did Chicago on Broadway and then we took it out on tour. Oh. And for two and a half years, yeah, for two and a half years, Tom would play Billy Flynn for three months and then I'd do it for three months. And then Tom oh. would do it for six over here. I'd do it for six months. And we'd pass it back and forth. That way we would each get time back home, you know, and doing other stuff. Right. But, uh, People got really confused around that time. That was in the early 2000s. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, That's funny. Fun. All right. So go for it, Casey. All right. So let's play your team beat game. Team <laughs> beat. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, who is most likely to play a prank? And this is with um, the Sign Seal Delivered cast, people you've worked with on that show. I think I'd, I'd say that Eric is 
probably most likely. I mean, it could be any one of them. It could be any one of them. All four, all four have perverted senses of humor, and uh, and and are capable of of being crazy. Um, Jeff too, though. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff is a is is a twisted, funny guy. <laughs> You know, <laughs> he really is. You know, we got that be, when we talked to him. Be, sweet as can be a wonderful actor with a really twisted, twisted sense of humor <laughs> and, uh, and really fun to be fun to be around. Yeah. I have a great time being around. I'll just shut up and sit and watch him and wait until he does something that cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> Who's most likely to burst into random song between takes? Me. With your guitar. Okay, yeah. <laughs> With or without my guitar. Uh -huh. Yeah. All right. So next question is, um, who is most likely to break out into a little dance between takes? Maybe just, I don't know, <laughs> messing around. <laughs> Kristen. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Okay. So who's the most likely to be found at Crafty, at Craft Services? Eric. Oh, he, he 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 loves his drinks. He, he hydrates all day long. Oh, OK. That, that's very important. He's a, he's a fitness guy, you know, he's right. You know, yeah, hydrate. Yes, that's very important. <laughs> who is most likely to laugh at an who is most likely to laugh at an inappropriate time during filming? Kristen. <laughs> That's that's pretty much been the consensus yeah, so far. That's unanimous. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, who's the most likely to contribute the most money to the swear jar? Me. <laughs> I'm old school, and uh, yeah, and uh, when I blow a take, uh, no f bombs drop regularly. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, no, it doesn't make it uh, on on a Martha Williamson set. The the <laughs> f bombs appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if Doris Day could back in the day, I mean, oh, surely yeah. it's. <laughs> Which is how I feel. That's a great <laughs> argument. Casey, good going. Now you're going to get him in more trouble with Martha. <laughs> oh, too funny! Too funny. Oh my goodness, Gregory, we cannot thank you enough. This has been so much fun getting the chance to chat with you and get to know you. Yes. Uh, is you. there anything that, uh, well, I know that we can we can promote the Lacey Chabert movie when it comes out. So is there anything else that you can tease that we can help yeah. promote for you? Yeah, there, I actually know that it's not just in development, but approaching time for a green light to shoot a sequel to my cat movie, my Christmas cat movie, The Nine Lives of Christmas. <gasps> We're gonna it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you like just made our day because That's there have been so many of Yes, yes. We have been campaigning Which, for this. <laughs> it's everybody's favorite. I who knew when we were shooting it? But I guess everybody loves cats, and uh, and and so 
because I think the reruns get as good ratings as some of the new movies that they that they air. Mm-hmm. They're just going, why don't we make a sequel? Even though it's like seven or eight years later. Yeah. So we're going to do it. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's I'm funny. Very excited about that. Yes. Wow. It's funny on the um, Hallmarkies podcast, somebody made a little graphic and it can be a t-shirt now that says 10 lives of Christmas, which is the campaigning for, for this, the sequel to the nine lives of Christmas. And this has been a thing for, for, for years now, I think. Yeah. Years. She created it in 2017, maybe. Well, apparently someone was listening because, uh, and agreeing because it's, it's, it hasn't been green lit yet, but it's been a development for a while. Yeah. And uh, I hope I'm not speaking at turn, but it's going to get made. <gasps> We're going to cross our fingers. Good. Green light that thing really fast. Yes, please. <laughs> Good. Postables, you, hear, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> you got the Yes. Yes, we got the scoop. All right. Well, thank you all of you for tuning in. We hope that you have a marvelous day and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, Postables. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. For more juicy details and to hear what's coming up, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Deliver Me a Pod and on Instagram at Deliver Me a Podcast. And please check out our merch store for tons of Postables-inspired merchandise to enhance your fandom. See you next week.